Well, a very good morning to each one of you. Greet you all in the wonderful and precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How wonderful, how marvelous is our Lord and his love for us. I think maybe someone next to you needs to hear that Jesus loves them. Say that. I think we need this reminder sometimes, eh? especially when we're in the midst of struggles and storms. We tend to forget this, but it's, it's always amazing to know that the Lord loves us. The Lord is with us. And uh, that's basically the message that I want to speak to you about this morning. It's about the Lord's love for us, his presence, but it has to do with faith first and foremost. So before we get into the word, let's bow on a word of prayer. Father, we do celebrate you this morning. We do give you thanks and praise for who you are and for all that you have done for us, Lord. Thank you for your love, which is everlasting. Your love, which is a reminder to us every day of what you've done for us, Lord. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your body. Thank you for the gift of eternal life, Lord. Thank you for faith. Lord, you've blessed us with this gift and help us to be mindful, Lord, that in the midst of struggles, you are there. You will never leave nor forsake us. And so, Lord, as we quieten our hearts this morning, may we reflect on that and we pray that you would meet with us in a very special way this morning. And with that, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable unto you, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. This morning I would like to uh, share a passage of scripture, which I think many of us are familiar with. I think we've grown up uh, listening to this, uh, to this event that has happened, and it has to do with Jesus walking on the water. Now how often have we, we heard this, this story, this, this whole narrative of, of Jesus walking on on water, but I think we need to refresh our minds and understand what is actually going on here and what the Lord actually calls us to. And, and this, this particular uh, passage has been on my heart for quite a, quite a while, and so when I was asked to preach, I thought, wow, definitely meant for today. And so this is the passage we're going to be going through. But before we get into that, just a bit of observation from my side, I've been backtracking throughout Christian faith with regards to the universal church. And with that, I mean the church holistically, globally. And, and there's something that I've noticed if you follow on YouTube and, and any social media platform, you would notice that faith within the Christian context is something that is seriously lacking. Our churches are empty. And it has to do with faith, which is lacking within the Christian context. Now, when I make reference to the word faith, I'm not referring to religion per se, like the, the Christian faith or the Muslim faith or the Hindu faith, but I'm referring to faith as in trust. And when I'm saying trust, I'm saying trusting God, the one and only true living God. That's the faith that I'm referring to this morning. We are living in a generation, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, that is fast moving away from faith, from trusting God. It's almost like we find it so hard to believe 
that God often works in miraculous ways. We fail to believe that with God, all things are possible. Anything is, is possible. And one of the fundamental reasons as to why people live in fear, why people live in, in, in doubt, why people get, become so anxious, it has to do with a lack of faith. And so I pray that this particular verse that I want to share with you now would resound in your minds this morning, but even when we go home. Hebrews 11 verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's a serious, strong statement. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. I'm also convinced that we lack in faith simply because we lack in our understanding of who Jesus is. Jesus is God. He's the word was from the very beginning. The one who made himself known to humanity through the incarnation where God took on human flesh through the person of Jesus Christ. He's the one who said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John chapter 14 verse 9. He's the one who said, I and the Father are one. John chapter 10 verse 30. And so today's passage touches on the divinity of Jesus. It also touches on the aspect of faith which we will get challenged on. And so this is what I'm gonna do this morning. For the first half of the sermon, I'm gonna briefly unpack this text. And for the second half of it, I'm gonna be sharing testimonies. Just gonna reflect on testimonies as well and how important those are. So if you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to open to Matthew chapter 14 from verses 22 to 33. This sort of takes off from uh, when Jesus fed the 5,000, right? So we're picking up from there. Verse 22, immediately he, he referring to Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land being uh, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. That's, that's an amazing event, right? I love that passage. Now, what we've got to know here is that 
This particular event is recorded by the three gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and John. But before we understand what's going on on here, we've got to backtrack a bit and get a better understanding of the whole context, which brings us to chapter 14 from verses 13 to 21. And this is the account where multitudes of people, thousands of people were following Jesus and they followed him into this remote place. And if we remember the feeding of the 5,000, there were lots of people Jesus was preaching and there came a time when they were hungry and there was not enough food to eat. All they had was five loaves of bread and two fish. And we see that Jesus performed this amazing miracle where he multiplied that five loaves of bread and two fish and everyone ate. And that's looking, we're looking at over 10,000 people. So that's what, what, what was happening. When he had done this, the people were in awe of what he'd done and, and who he was. So they were sort of figuring this out. And what do they want to do? Now, John gives a bit more uh, insight on this. They wanted to inaugurate him as their king. They want to forcefully do that. And so this is when Jesus takes the disciples, puts them on a boat, and sends them off, and he goes and he disperses the crowds. And we later read that the Lord goes up into the mountains to pray. So first miracle happened there. And this is fresh in the minds of the disciples. And so now, the drama starts. And I'm going to come back to the details of what happened, but for now I want to touch on the main event, and that is Jesus walking on water. This is something that is scientifically impossible. Do not try it at home. The calculations don't add up to explain this. This is by far beyond human reasoning and understanding. You see, the Lord is not controlled by scientific reasoning. The minds of humans can only comprehend God to a point and then all reason fails. You see, God is not controlled by time or space. And here, Jesus showed his disciples and he turned the world. He's showing everyone, us as well as we read, by him walking on the water. He's showing us his divinity. He's showing his disciples who he is. You see, only God can do something like this. By him walking on water is a direct declaration. He's now declaring to those who are, you know, the disciples. He's declaring his divinity. He is the God of creation. And when I speak of creation within this context, I'm speaking of creation as in nature. But him walking on water shows us his authority over nature. And when we read the Gospels, we read how many times Jesus commands storms to stop, and they stop. And when we look at Job chapter 38, verse 16, we see, we see Jesus' actions tie up with what God said to Job. God said to Job, have you entered into the springs of the sea? Or have you walked in search of the depths? The picture here, in other words, is like God showing he is Lord of creation. He walks even in the depths of the ocean. Mind-blowing. And so we see who is here. The God of creation. And he's walking on water. Hence, Jesus is revealing his divinity. Now remember, 
when Jesus multiplied five loaves of bread and two fish to feed the thousands of people, even there, he was demonstrating his divinity. Now this particular miracle is what we would refer to as a creation miracle, right? He created out of two fish and five loaves of bread, more fish and more bread, a creation miracle. Now, we know, and I'm sure every other, other religious organization would also acknowledge this, that only God can create. Only God can create. And so we see here that Jesus created food. Once again, he's revealing his divinity. Now, history also records that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as something that can't be refuted. Jesus said this in John chapter 10, verse 18, and, and he speaks of his life, regarding his life. He says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. Who has the power to give life? This is an attribute dedicated to God and God alone. And history speaks of Jesus' supernatural resurrection. Once again, we see that Jesus was God in flesh. He's Emmanuel, God with us. So we get the picture of who's walking on the water. This is no ordinary man. This is God. Now that we've established who Jesus is, let's look at the rest of the text from, from that perspective. We're looking at it from that perspective. This is God walking on the water. In verse 22, Jesus sends the disciples away, and they left in the evening, and they were going to make their way to Gennesaret, which was not very far away. Now, observe this. When they initially set sail, there was no storm, right? If there was a storm, they wouldn't have left. So clearly, there was no storm when they set sail. Think about that. This is life, is, is it not? We get up one day assuming all is well. And suddenly, unexpectedly, we are faced with some sort of challenge. This is what was happening to the disciples. They were just on this hype. Jesus had done this amazing miracle with the food. So they're all excited. They're all worked up. All is well. But the next thing, as they make their way off, unexpectedly, they were caught up in a massive storm. Notice verse 25. It says that, during the fourth watch, Jesus came to them. Now, we can't miss this. The fourth watch refers to the time frame of between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. This is the early hours of the morning. So it means that these men were fighting through the storm for hours, most of the night, early parts of the morning. Right? For hours, they've been fighting through the storm. And I'm sure it must have felt like forever. Let's be honest, how often do we feel as if the struggles we are going through, it's like taking forever. I can testify to that. 
It's taking forever. It's like it's not coming to an end. And I'm sure the disciples were feeling the same thing. All hope must have been dwindling at this point, but God was going to intervene. Jesus was going to come to their rescue, and he was going to do it on the fourth watch at that late hour. Just another reminder to us that he who keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. He's fully aware of what's happening in our lives. Sometimes we may think that he's not, but he, he, he knows. Nothing catches him by surprise. Verse 26 shows us how fearful these grown men were. Grown men, scared. First they had to put up with this raging storm. Now they see someone walking on the water, which looks like a ghost. Now this night could not get worse, any worse for them. It's like getting from bad to worse. Now they're seeing this figure of a ghost. But here's the thing. And here's what was happening. The storm was getting the better of them. So much so that they could not identify Jesus. You're relating this, I mean, like your life with this passage. I could relate so much to it. Mark's gospel sheds more light as to what is happening here. Mark writes that Jesus was walking past them, almost like he missed them. But he didn't miss them when he went alongside them, as Mark records. He did this to see if they would recognize him. But he also did this to test their faith. But you see, the fear of what was happening around them got the better of them in that they could not make him out. The storm had all of their attention. Remember, the future of the church was in this boat. These men were the future of the church. And the church was overcome with fear. But in the midst of everything, there was one man. Peter recognized Jesus. How often do difficulties, difficulties that creep up on us, takes our focus away from God. The Lord is with us, but we are like these men. We allow our circumstances to get the better of us, and we forget that he promised us that he'll never leave us, he'll never forsake us. We've got to be like Peter, even though they were in a serious predicament. He recognized Jesus amongst the storm. Peter seemed to have quickly realized something. There was no safety in this boat that he was in. He saw his lifeline to be Jesus. This is why in verse 28, Peter asked Jesus if he could come to him. And the Lord said, come. Now guys, we've got to understand that this took radical faith on Peter's side to step out of the boat. I mean, it's like, what are you doing, Peter? What are you doing? Getting off a boat and it's in a raging storm. But a miracle happened. 
with his eyes fixed on Jesus, Peter begins to walk on water. There's only two men that walked on water, Jesus and Peter. But you see, church, when we put our faith in Christ, don't overrule the real possibility that miracles can happen. But Peter is just like all of us. The storm caught his attention again, and he became fearful. Now he begins to sink. I want you to know that fear has the ability to weaken our faith. I want to say that again. Fear has the ability to weaken our faith. We see that here. Peter was not walking by faith anymore because fear got the better of him. But check this guy out. eh? When, when he begins to sink, he could have called out to his 11 friends for help. I mean, there's a boat there. There's a better chance that he'd, you know, he'd be safe in that boat if they reach out to him. But he didn't do that. He did not do that. Peter's faith was anchored in the Lord. You see, when we reach out to the Lord for help, he's faithful to reach out to us. Sometimes we're not reaching out, and this is why we're not experiencing the Lord's help. But even in that, he's still faithful. Peter was thinking, this was it for him. He's going to die, but God saved him. Listen to what Jesus said to Peter in the midst of everything that was going on in verse 32. Jesus said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I wonder if Jesus was like sort of saying to Peter, didn't you just experience something with the feeding of the 5,000? Am I not the same Lord standing before you? Why did you doubt? Because just a couple of hours ago, Peter witnessed this firsthand. He was part of this whole event that took place. But yet he doubted. But this is what happens. When we go through challenges, this happens to us as well, right? We doubt. We forget who we serve. We forget the things God has done in our lives. We forget the one who who is always with us. You know, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 58, it reminds us of what happened in Jesus' hometown. And it reads, and he did not do many miracles there. Why? Because of their lack of faith. I wonder if we too, maybe, don't experience miracles because of our lack of faith in the one who can do more than our minds could ever be able to comprehend. You see, we must be careful that we don't allow situations that we go through to dictate who we are or how we behave. We must not allow fear, anxiety, unbelief to overshadow our faith. The two miracles Jesus performed with the feeding of the multitudes and him demonstrating his lordship over nature is a reminder to us of who Jesus is 
and there is nothing that is impossible for him because he is Lord over everything. There was not enough food, but God provided miraculously. The disciples were overwhelmed with fear and possible death, but God intervened and saved them. I've come to see how people are suffering in different ways as I visit lots of people. Especially lately, eh? Most of them feel hopeless. They feel broken for various reasons. And my message to them is, yes, this is happening to you, but God can change that situation. Don't allow fear to overshadow your faith. Trust him in the midst of whatever storms you are going through. <coughs> I would like to share a couple of testimonies with you this morning. Now, I could, have, I could have shared testimonies from books that I've read or videos that I've watched, but I'm standing in front of you. I will share with you firsthand the things God has done in our lives. And it's miraculous stuff. Many things, but I'll just share a few. We had a fair share of storms in our lives, myself and Michelle. There was a time when Michelle couldn't fall pregnant. And, and she being an orphan, this is something she longed for, to have her own family. And so what would happen is like she would fall pregnant, but miscarry. This happened so many times. And so we saw doctors and they couldn't help. We eventually see specialists and that wasn't working. In fact, one specialist who's still a friend of ours up to today, he told me, frankly, listen, I don't want to tell her, but I'm telling you, she's not going to be able to have children. I did not tell her that. But the thing is, we've been trying for years, nothing. My grandfather was a pastor, he's late now, but on his dying bed, I remember we went to visit him. He laid hands on his stomach and he prayed for her. And he said, when you'll have a baby boy, name him Samuel. Michelle got pregnant. Now it's three months, but everyone's like, ah, you know, Stan, this, she might miscarry. But that pregnancy was a blessed pregnancy. Even the doctor who said that it could not happen was amazed that it actually did happen. The doctor said no, but God said yes. The same man who said no who delivered Liam, held him up, I'll never forget. And he said to everyone around, he has a miracle baby. God can do things that man say is not possible. You may be struggling with some sort of sickness. Don't let the fear of that sickness overshadow your faith in God. Many years ago, one of my greatest fears came to pass. Now, again, Michelle and her family, they have a history of cancer. 
In fact, her father passed away with it. Uh, her cousin had it, her auntie had it. So it's like, it's like they just have a history of cancer in their family. It was my fear that one day, you know, she would get it. Just, it was a fear of mine. So she wasn't feeling well. And we go to the doctor and he does tests. And the tests come back and shows she picked up cancer. My heart sank. My fear was staring at my face. The doctor said within a month, we come back and we see what sort of treatment, we, what we're going to do basically. The Lord challenged me that day when I got home. The Lord challenged me to fast and pray. For the whole month, I fasted and I prayed. But I did a communion fast day. Crazy, but I just did it. I ate bread and I drank juice for 30 days. And I fasted and I prayed for my wife. We go back to the doctor. And he was going to do tests and so on. And I said, Doc, before we start anything, please, let's, let's just do these tests again and see. So he does the test, test results, come back. Those cancer cells were gone. God healed my wife. The last time I preached here, I shared a bit of how messed up my life was years ago. I remember one day in school, a teacher told me this. Nothing good will ever come from you. You'll finish off in the streets. Kind of prophetic words because that's what I am on the <laughs> streets now. But you know what I believed in, eh? I mean, these are the people you look up to. A teacher, I believed what he said. Sort of impacted my life so badly in a negative way. Long story short, we come to a point years later where I feel God calling me to ministry. Me. Firstly, the church that we were at years ago, they never took me seriously. The leadership, the people, they did not take, took, uh, take me seriously. They sort of judged me. The Bible college that I went to rejected me. You don't have a matric, so you can't study here. So in other words, the world was turning their back on me. Basically, every avenue I pursued, the doors closed. And I tell you, it takes a lot for me to cry. But it brought me to tears. But here's the thing. People were closing the doors on me. But God had a plan for me. And he reminded me that through his word, and you know, it's so amazing sometimes when you open the Bible and we read something, it's like we read it tons of times. But at that moment, it just has that meaning. It's like for you. And I was reading through Paul's epistles and, and he starts his letters by saying, Paul, an apostle called by God. Not by man, called by God. I was just flipping through his letters and he just starts his letters with that. And it's for me, the Lord saying to me, I called you. And so here I am.
years later, I've got my metric qualification now. <laughs> I've studied at the Bible College and I've got an NQF 8 with theology on his degree. Am I boasting in myself? Far be it. I boast in my Lord. He did it. The world may put you down and discredit you. But I want to tell you that God has a plan for you. Stop listening to people and start listening to God. Start having faith. Start trusting again. Coming back to the scripture as we draw to a close. Notice what happened when Jesus got into the boat. What happened? The storm ceased. Stop focusing on the storms. Start trusting the Lord who commands those storms. For when you invite the Lord to jump in the boat, so to speak, you allow him to work in and through your life. And you can say with confidence, even though I walk through the valley, whatever valley that may be, I shall fear no evil. Why? For God is with me. God is with you. Psalm 23. And I would like to conclude with this thought. You know, the people who Jesus performed those miracles for, think about the people that he fed. It was a miracle. It was a great miracle. But the next day, those people were hungry again, right? Jesus saved the disciples from death during the storm, but eventually at some point, those men died. Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead after he was dead for four days. But he died again. Yes, we look to God for miracles in the here and now. There's nothing wrong with that. But we should be eternally grateful for the greatest miracle humanity will ever know, and that's salvation. Romans 6.23 states that the wages for our sins is death, it's our payment but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord we were destined for eternal damnation because we fall short of the glory of God but for God so loved the world he gave his son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life the greatest miracle humanity has been blessed with is an eternity spent with God. You see, Jesus is Lord of this life and he's also Lord of the afterlife. And so there's provision for the living and there's provision for the dead. He's faithful in both aspects. When our eyes are open to see who Jesus really is, then that knowledge that belief, it casts out all anxiety. It casts away fear. This is why I started the sermon bringing about who Jesus is. He's God. And he's God who's in control of the storms, who's in control of your life. And it's so that our, our relationship would be anchored in him and him alone, knowing that he is God. He's God who will help us to, to navigate through any storm this life may throw at us.
It's so that we may take on any struggle having faith in the one who can deliver us. It's so that we may believe that yes, we are overwhelmed with despair, but God is sovereign over every aspect of your life. And so I'd ask you, are you going through a storm right now? I want to echo the words of Jesus, the words that he told his disciples when they were at the point of being overtaken with fear. Jesus said to them, and he says to you, and this is why I left this verse to close with, verse 27. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, we just want to come before you this morning and thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder, even through your word, that you are always at work. You know each one of us. You know what we go through. You know the challenges. You know our fears. You know our anxieties. But Lord, even through all of that, please help us that we may put our faith in you, Lord. That we may trust you every step of the way. For you are able. You are able to do more than our minds would ever be able to comprehend. And so we thank you for the reminder of this from your word this morning. And Lord, help us to remember your words once again. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.